raised in the church, determined to enter into a life of ministry, her life took an unexpected turn. Today, she's very involved in prayer ministries, so her life clearly took another turn. She is Dana Brady, I'm John Bradshaw, and this is our conversation. Dana Brady, thanks for being here. I'm glad to be. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, listen, yours is quite the story. There's several twists and turns. Let's go back to somewhere near the beginning. You as a a young adult, or maybe as a teenager, had a desire to get involved in full-time ministry. So where'd that come from? Where'd that desire come from? I think primarily my grandfather inspired it of me. All right. I was very blessed to have a grandfather that every time I went over to his house, we sat down at the table and a Bible was open. And he shared his love. And born and raised in the church, I had a desire to do what he did, but maybe with children or working on a, on um, like in a college or maybe in a dormitory. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you were looking at getting involved in youth ministry. Yes. Okay. Raised in the church. Yes. Happy experience raised in the church. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I had a, a passion for helping kids find a way to connect with God while they were still young. Mm. Hmm. And this translated or transferred into a desire to get involved in ministry on an ongoing basis. Yes. All right. So what did you do about that? You pursued ministry how? Well, I was really inspired when I was away at Academy. And one of the teachers that we had there would give morning devotion every morning. And that was so impactful in my life because I was away from my family, away from my grandfather. And I started thinking about the importance of having someone in a dormitory setting or in a, in that sort of setting in youth ministries that could lead at that young, impressionable age. Hey, what do you think it was about devotion of devotional time that, you know, some young people just switch off and tune out, but it grabbed you? Was, was it the content? Was it the state of your heart? What was it that grabbed you about these times of devotional, the devotional experiences? I had always been searching for purpose, as most teenagers are and most youth are. You know, what is the reason that we're here? And God seems so, or seemed so separate and so difficult to connect with. And in these stories every morning that she would share, we heard stories of, of missionaries and kids that were our age and youth that had experiences with God that were real. And so I thought, if this can happen to them, it could happen to me too. And I started feeling a connection to God through that worship time every morning that I hadn't experienced at home. And I think primarily it was because I was on my own. You know, I was away at academy, so I was being watched over by the school, but I was by myself, and I was looking to figure out how I could make God real in my day-to-day life. Hey, that's interesting, though. You found meaning in the experiences of young people who'd found meaning. So what does that tell you about how we ought to be reaching out to young people today and ministering to young people today? With our experiences, what we've been through, we can help people connect by understanding that we know what it's like. You know, whether it's just growing up, and experiencing um, the challenges of trying to find your way in a world, especially as a Christian, trying to find your way in the world, or not having an understanding of who God is and wanting to know what your purpose is. Um, I identified with hearing other people's stories because I could always see myself in that story, whether it was how they were raised or the way they were feeling, I identified with what they were going through. Now, it's not like this was a thousand years ago, but 
things have changed a little in the world since when you're in high school and kids today, and you're a mom, so you 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 get to all parents kind of get to relive in a certain sense childhood, looking at it through the lens of their own kids. What do you think kids are up against today that you weren't up against those few years ago when you were that age? Distraction. There's so much pulling our attention constantly. You know, these little cell phone devices are meant to make life easier, but instead it tends to draw our focus and our attention to all the things that we could be doing. So there's lack of, of connection, you know, without the device yeah. in front of you and, and looking into each other's eyes. Communication now is via text. I found that even you can be in your own house and somebody's in the other room and you send a text message instead of going and finding that person and sitting down. I think the biggest challenge is that so much is done um, to keep us distracted. There isn't the quiet that you used to find. And I had a lot of that when I was young. Being bored was a good thing. You know, having nothing to do, going outside and kicking rocks because there wasn't a whole lot going on, um, it gave you time to contemplate life. Yeah, who get, who's bored today? If, you, if, you, if it's not your phone, you've got the, the game console right. or something. Right. When I was a kid, there was, there was boredom or creativity. Right. You had to go find fun. You had to get together right. and do something. Uh, maybe you find mischief, but mm-hmm. you know you you got to go and fill that time right. w- w- with something to keep you occupied. Not a lot of that today, is there? No. And all the pretending and figuring out how to build the fort, and building mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. tree houses. Being bored's a good thing, and that's how I've tried to raise my children. Yeah. When they come and tell me they're bored, that's great. There's a whole outside. Go and build something. Amen. <laughs> Academy was a good experience for you? High school, good yeah. experience? Yeah. Academy was a good experience. It was a new experience. I'd gone to a day Christian school, uh, lived at home until I hit about the 10th grade. And then there was no 11th and 12th grade at the school that I went to. So I went away to a school in Nebraska, and then I ended up going away to a school for my senior year in okay. Michigan. And um yeah, it was it was wonderful to be around people that had the same sort of value system that my parents did. So yeah. prayer was a part of school. Prayer was a part of class. You were always going to go to university? Yes. Yeah? You were always going to go and study to prepare for youth ministry? No. For a no. while, I was interested in business, okay. which is interesting. So I started out thinking, you know, I'm, I'm going to lean into this first, and, and it just didn't, it didn't satisfy. I was most interested in the Vespers program's and at my college and, um, you know, the youth groups that got together for Bible study. So I, I decided to change majors and and, and do religion-oriented stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So um, college was good? Yes. Except that mm. at college, things started to take a bit of a turn instead of encouragement, discouragement. Yeah. Tell me. I had a couple of experiences. You know, it was a difficult time in my family's life. My parents were going through a divorce mm. and that shakes you. You know, you wonder what's going on and, and what you thought tomorrow would be like isn't what tomorrow's going to be like. So that produced difficulties. And around that time, I was looking for um, a way to deal with the stress. And so I had an experience where um, I was out with some friends for a birthday party. This is when I was away at school. And I decided to order a drink. And I was underage. And I ordered that drink, and it was served to me. And that was the first drink that I'd ever had. And... Um, Weeks passed and months passed. I went home for Christmas time and I came back and I was called into the dean's office and asked if I'd had a drink when I was um, away or when I was at school earlier. And I admitted that I had and and there was a question about whether or not I'd brought any alcohol into campus and I I hadn't done that. And to make a long story short, there was um, some embarrassment, some shame 
for the decision that I'd made. Here I was going to school to be involved in youth ministry, and what had I done this for? And so my vision for myself began to fall apart. I felt like, you know, maybe this is wrong. Maybe I'm an imposter. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And the decision from the school at the time was to suspend me for three days. And it wasn't because there was alcohol on campus, though that that rumor had started. It was literally the one drink. But it was because I had drank. And that, for me, sent me into a bit of a tailspin. I started wondering about um, what the future held with my parents. I started wondering about whether or not I was cut out for this. And that really was the catalyst to set me on the wrong path. You know, my my response is, wow. Mm. Easy to be critical of the school. Mm. Frankly, appropriate to be critical of the school. Mm. But there was an era where schools were transitioning from, if you do this, the, we will lower the boom. Right. They were transitioning from that to today where the pendulum has probably swung in the other direction. Right. right. As you think back, do you think with compassion on the school or do you just think with disappointment? Because there was somewhere there was an administrator trying to do the right yeah. thing, I suppose. But it was yeah. a pretty dumb decision. A little bit of both. Yeah. You know, the, I understand where they were coming from. But what I needed was yeah. to be handheld. Yeah. What I needed was somebody to talk to me and say, hey, you know, you're a youth ministries major. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Where do you see things going? And I think that had somebody talked to me through that time, um, it was difficult to turn to mom and dad because mom and dad were carrying a huge burden themselves. Yeah. They were disappointed with what was happening in their own lives. So I internalized it. And what could have been most beneficial for me, especially considering my, my desire was to work with youth was to have somebody come along beside me. It was a learning opportunity. It was. Unfortunately, it, it, it wasn't conducted in a positive way. And no. Oh, you just think back, don't you hear stories of that? I was at school and I made a mistake and they kicked me out. Sometimes mm-hmm. a kid ought to get kicked out, but right. at other times you just want to put your arm around that child and say, right. come on now. Yes. Let's, let's talk this through. Right. We love you. We believe in you. Right. <sighs> so what happened as a result of that? I ended up uh, staying in school for a little bit longer, but then um, I called my dad at one point and, and some of the, the kids I had been friends with, you know, it's difficult when you go from having all of your friends be involved in religion themselves, and, and that was most of the people that I, I spent most of my time with, they saw me as somebody that was making the wrong decisions, and I was having a difficult time earning back their trust, and so I called my dad and said, come pick me up, and I'm going home. I hate to say this, Dana, but it sounds like this was a thousand years ago. I know yeah. it wasn't. Yeah. Because today that just wouldn't happen. Right. Like I've said, and I don't say this with any great joy, I think the pendulum has swung in the other direction now. Yes. Uh, I think a little too far. But you know those aren't my decisions. Mm. It's it's incredible that even your peer group looked at you sideways. They did. They wow. did. Yeah, and probably not the right thing to do. No. Uh, take, take somebody by the hand and say, <laughs> you know, made a mistake, but let's move mm. on it. If I, can, if I can say this, in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't the biggest mistake a kid's ever made. Right, right. Anyhow. But at the same time, I think that it has given me compassion. Yeah, sure. You know, looking, looking at what people go through today, what I went through is what I don't want others to go through. Yeah. And so it gives me that ability to understand and to recognize, you know, we, we, we struggle we make choices that we may yeah. regret. I regretted it after I made the choice. Sure. But then to add you know, shame to it and, and that internal humiliation, 
um, and then trying to hold your head up high and still walk into those religion classes yeah. and sit down with everybody else at the table. I, I didn't know what to do but hide. Okay, so help me find the balance. Mm. There's a kid in school orders a drink when they're out for dinner, and, and I'm going to say again, in the grand scheme of things, mm. the thousand things that they could have done that's worse. Mm. But but they do that, and, and they're, they're outed for it. Mm. How do we handle that? What do we do? Well, the first thing I think we need to say is, why? You know, what... What did, you, what did you hope to accomplish? I mean, was this a moment where you were thinking, I just want to be rebellious and I want to try something? Is there pain there? Is there hurting? How can I come alongside you and help you through this? Because in the end, what will drinking alcohol accomplish? Mm, you know, what sure. is the goal? And I, kids will make decisions where they just want to be, you know, they want to be rebellious. Sure. I think that was the moment that I was having. I was in stress and in, in struggle. I didn't want to drink. I wasn't attracted to it. But if somebody had talk to me about why it would have given me that door to open up and say, you know, this is going on in my life and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to deal. I don't know how to cope. Yeah. But even for, for the, the child that is interested in drinking, you know, there's, there's a long-term picture that it produces. And that's where we need mentors that can come along and say, let me, let me walk you through yeah. this time in your life. Let me be there to hold your hand. I need to double back around because someone heard me say it's not the worst mistake a kid can make and, 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 and was concerned that I was going soft on this. Alcohol is a disaster. It's a complete life-wrecking, home-wrecking disaster, but just for context. Absolutely. You know. Okay, so you said to Dad, I'm done, I'm coming home. Yeah. Well, that was the end of some hopes and dreams. Well, I thought I'd come back. I thought I just needed a a break, a moment to clear my head and, and kind of regroup, and that was the plan. I thought I'd go home for a little while, and then I'd come back in the fall, but... But there were other things that were waiting for me that I didn't know, and that took me off course. So what happened? You didn't get back. Something, someone intervened. Yeah. What happened next? Well, I came home to an environment that wasn't the environment that I left. Right, sure. My parents were in the middle of a separation, which led to a divorce. Everyone was unhappy. Everyone was sad. I had a younger sister that I was concerned about, and so I I started thinking about um, different choices. And in fact, I had had a childhood dream that I wanted to um, be a fighter pilot in the Air Force. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm going to go ahead and call the recruiting office. Why don't I just give them a call and and see what what they know? And a cousin took me out to lunch the same day I had the appointment to go into this recruiting office. It was in the middle of the summer. And that was when um, I met a gentleman who was my waiter. And when I went to make a phone call to let the recruiting office know that I was running a little bit late... I met him for the first time, and he stopped me, told me that I didn't have permission to use the phone at the restaurant, and um, thus began a conversation. And then? And then um, he chased me outside afterwards and asked for my phone number. And, um, you know, I never thought that he'd call. I gave him the number. I didn't have a whole lot of interest. I'd barely spoken to him. Um, He, in fact, did call, and I, I wasn't home when he'd called, but then I ran into him again the next day. Now, Kansas City, where I'm from, is a great big city. Mm-hmm, sure. So to run into somebody two days in a row yeah. um, was a surprise, in fact. And, and it, it really opened up a quick conversation between the two of us when his car pulled up. And he said, hey, weren't you that girl yeah. at that restaurant? And um, he jumped out of his car, and we began to talk, and we, we set up a time to get together. There was something different about this guy, though. Oh, yes. What was different about him? He was a Muslim. 
And here's this young Christian. Did you know at the time he was Muslim? I did not. Okay, okay. No. But you found that out before long. I did. Okay, okay. Very well, tell me a little bit about what he was like. You were, you were young, and, and I don't know if you were yeah. infatuated yet, but you were on your way to being infatuated. You were interested, yeah. and maybe you were flattered. I don't know all of those things. But some guy asked for your number. He jumps out of the car. You get together, and something in your heart went, ooh. Yeah, he was outgoing and friendly and funny. Yeah. And I was at a time in my life where I was transitioning. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Was yeah. I going to go back to school? Was I going to stay? There wasn't the stability at home. And here was somebody that made me laugh. So that drew me in. What was your relationship with God like at that time? Weak. Oh. Weak. Yeah. I had begun to doubt that I was a fit for the ministry. And instead of continue my conversation with God, I hid. I hid from him. Um, I felt ashamed and embarrassed, and that that guilt began at school. You know, hang on. Hang on. Hmm. You felt ashamed and embarrassed about a drink. Yeah. I I, again, again, ladies and gentlemen, you got, got to understand. I'm not. I'm not minimizing the, the dangers of alcohol, but I mean, you knew kids who who done thousand times sure. worse than that. Sure. But it's really interesting. Is I'm not saying you shouldn't have felt guilt. I think you should have felt some. Right. You know, some. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting, isn't it, what the devil does? Mm -hmm. He takes a momentary lapse of reason mm -hmm. and turns that into something that will upend a person's yes. life. Okay, well, that was, that was where you were, and you felt distant from God. You wanted to run and hide. And so now? And I was making a series of choices in my life. I yeah. had had, um, prior to meeting this gentleman, I had had a relationship with, with uh, someone at school that I deemed was an inappropriate relationship. And so I felt like I was... I was starting down a slide that I couldn't stop. Yeah. And so instead of talking to God about it, I um, kept it quiet. Mm. I figured, you know, when I could make myself more presentable again and when I could make myself good enough, then I can talk to God about it and it'll be okay. And it opened the door for um, a relationship that I had no business being in. And this gentleman was outgoing and friendly and funny and kind. And he stepped into my chaotic world, and he provided stability. Yeah, sure. So at some stage, some soon stage, you've mm -hmm. discovered, well, this guy's a Muslim. Yeah. I'm a Christian. Yeah. There was something going on in your mind to try to bring these two things into compatibility. Mm -hmm. What was that process? Or what, what was it? How did you respond when he said, I'm a Muslim? Well, I didn't know very much about Islam. I knew that they didn't believe in Christ, but I didn't know very much about Islam. And I had the thought that's probably familiar to quite a few people. Well, maybe I can take him to church with me. Maybe I can change his mind. Maybe I can show him who Jesus is. And that didn't really go anywhere. Didn't work out like no, that, huh? Instead, what happened? Well, his family, I had an opportunity to meet them very quickly and getting to know him. That's very important in their culture. Sure. So his family had me over and... You know, remember, I was going through the trauma of brokenness in my own life. So they had me over and met me at the door, and his mother, his father, and a multitude of sisters, he was one of 11 children, came to greet me with hugs and welcomes and trays of food. Their hospitality is incredible. Teas and cakes and biscuits, and they were so interested to learn about me. They welcomed me into their home. I immediately felt um, almost a hug when I walked in the door just by the environment I was in. And probably more than I was even drawn to him, I was drawn to that stable home environment. Mm, interesting. Okay. We're going to pursue this in a moment mm. because we're talking about twists, but there are also turns because today you lead a thriving and vibrant prayer ministry. So this comes full circle. 
We'll be back with more in a moment, and we're very grateful that you are here with us with Dana Brady. I'm John Bradshaw. More of our conversation in a moment, brought to you by It Is Written. There are some things you don't want to forget, and there are some things God specifically tells us to remember. At the dawn of time, the creator of the universe gifted to the human family a divine prescription for combating stress, busyness, and the pressures of daily life. A regular blessing of time spent in the heart of God. Don't miss A Day to Remember. We'll travel to the largest Ten Commandments in the world and rediscover heaven's purpose for your life. A Day to Remember. A personal God seeking a meaningful connection with His children. A way forward for spiritual renewal. We'll open the Bible together and learn that God has blessings for His children that are being overlooked and neglected. Get more from God. Go deeper in your faith. A day to remember. Watch now on It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. My guest is Dana Brady. Dana, thanks for being here. Where did we leave off a moment ago? You were getting into a relationship with a young Muslim man. Really interesting. You said that the, 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 his family, so hospitable. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Um, explain to me your impression of Muslims. Mm. That's a very general question. Listen, mm. the thing is, when most Christians think about Muslims, they think about 9-11 or something like right. that. And there's a great deal more to Islam than the actions of a few. Yes. So... You, you said, and, and I'm sure there's somebody who's really surprised by this, the family was really hospitable. Yes. So what's the typical is, uh, Muslim family like? They're very community-oriented and family-oriented. Oh, yeah? They're very supportive. They are um, committed to one another. They touch base with each other every single day. In fact, when you when you marry and you move away, it is a given that you come back and spend a month to two months with your parents every single year because oh, really? family is critical and important. Um, they, I, I'd, I'd like my children to take that on board. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a wonderful, wonderful community-focused environment. They can't feed you enough. They want to know what your needs are. They're yeah. always willing to help. There is a uh, tremendous focus on making sure that the family members are okay. And in fact, if, if someone is struggling, they step in financially to help. They step in to give emotional support. Um, it, is, it is very family-driven. Mm. And you, as a young woman entering into that environment, how did that make you feel? Overwhelmed. In a good way? Yes. Yeah? Overwhelmed and um, just embraced. You know, I always had a place to go and... They, they gave me that option. They told me that that room over there is for you, and if you ever need a place to come and stay, you're welcome. I was so surprised to be embraced the way that I was, sure. and I felt even a sisterhood with his sisters. So it was, it was a wonderful impression that they made. How was the food? Delicious. Mm. Incredible. Mm. Always cooking. Mm. Always smells of spices coming from the kitchen. Oh, yeah. The mother in the home would, would rise early and talk about a spread. I mean, she had always 11 children, so she had a big family, but... Delicious food, incredible food. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're talking about the pluses. Mm. Wonderful supportive environment, very yeah. family-oriented, a great sense of community, wonderful yes. food. You're welcomed, welcome, welcome. Yes. It's like you walked into a home and now you had a, a, almost a soccer team full of sisters. Right. But you're a Christian and you're in a relationship with someone who was raised in Islam. Yes. How'd that 
go? There was difficulty at the core level of the belief system that I found in Islam. Um, I began to notice pretty early on that this gentleman that I was with had a bit of a temper. Mm. And um, in his culture, you are allowed to, to beat a woman lightly as long as you don't leave a mark. Mm. So violence began pretty early on in the relationship. Physical violence. Yes. Oh. And verbal verbal words that were cruel were there as well but the physical violence started slowly you know it was just a push or a shove um over time you know it escalates and you you don't realize what's happening until you're full in to a relationship that is dangerous um so i did experience um quite a bit of different things i i had my nose broken um i had uh wait a minute that's pretty serious yeah I mean, it, any, it any physical violence is serious and, yeah. and intolerable, but yes. that's... And that was, that was several years in, and I, I claimed that I was in a car accident, but it was an interesting dynamic to be in this relationship because I had stayed away from school, and I'd made a successful career for myself, so I, I went into the business world, and by day, I was in the, the, the business suit and handling meetings and traveling, and then um, by night, uh, attempting to appease somebody with a very volatile temper. His family was very supportive of me through that violence, so I would turn to them and, and let them know what had happened, and they would they would chastise him and, and correct him oh, and tell me that I always had a home with them. So there was this very interesting dynamic occurring where he had seen in his culture violence occur, but his immediate family did not approve of it. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. Yes. So you were dealing with domestic abuse. Yes. That's, as a, as a Christian yeah. now, mm-hmm. now what I'm wondering is what kind of Christian you are now, mm-hmm. how strong your Christian leanings are, how much you... Uh, care about Jesus and the God that you were raised with? Is, right. your, is your baseline belief system starting to move because you're in this, this really rather right. different environment? My belief system stayed the exact same, it solid did. all the way through. Yeah. Um, I believed very much in, in my faith and that Jesus was God's son. I knew that he loved me. I knew that he saw what was going on. But what was falling on my shoulders is my disappointment with myself. Mm. So the further this relationship went, um, the more that I was struggling in it, I felt that I, I had to get myself out. And if I could get myself out, I could get myself on track. Instead of turning to Christ to do the deliverance for me, I was trying to clean my own life up so that I could return to Christ. Mm. And I still communicated with God. Um, when, when this family would go into another room to pray and perform their prayers, I would pray for them in, in the, the other bedroom. I did not pray with them. I had no interest in Islam. They were okay with that? They did not know. They didn't know. They knew I was a Christian. They had tried to um, convert me and tell me about why Jesus was not God's son. They told me how we were, were the people of the book, so we were respected as Christians. Jews and Christians are people of the book but that um, Jesus was not the Son of God and that um, they wanted me to learn more about Islam, but they knew that I didn't have any interest. And in their culture, it is acceptable for a man to marry a Christian woman. So they were not terribly concerned with my lack of desire to convert. How far into Islam did, did, you, did you go personally? I learned everything about Islam from their conversations and discussions with me. So it was present constantly. In the Islamic culture, they're devout, most of them. 
So they, they talk about it. They live what they believe. Um, it's always present. And a number of times they would ask me to come to the mosque for some sort of event and, and um, I'd feel obliged to go. So I would go and I would observe what was going on. So I, I feel like I came to understand primarily all of the tenets of their faith. So explain Islam from your point of view. Mm. And, and I must say, mm. we're having a conversation here. We're not going to get into a, a, an academic deep dive. Yes. But this is your perception. Mm. You were there up close for quite some mm. time. Describe Islam. Islam means peace. And when you meet a devout Muslim who loves God, you will find a very peaceable person. They um, believe in giving back what God has given them. But one of the things that they struggle with is a concept of who God is. Sure. Um, they, I remember one day going into the kitchen table and there was a flyer on the table and the title of the flyer was for a meeting that was happening at the mosque just down the street. And it said, um, come to this meeting so you can learn how to get God to love you. Oh, how interesting. And I thought to myself... It's devastating. But I saw that reflected as well in their culture. So with all of their hospitality and kindness, many times they would do this, especially as young children serving the parents in order to receive love. They were earning their parents' love. Even within the family. Even within the family. And love is, is natural amongst parents and children, so love was given. But there was always this degree of achievement achieving through right behavior. And you see that in Islam. The, you know, you see it in Christianity too. Yes, you do. And, but that's the antithesis of the gospel. Yes. So you're in the situation, how to get God to love you. I, I, mm-hmm. I hope you'll pick up where, where, where we left off here. Mm-hmm. But that's absolutely devastating. Yeah. And it's the antithesis of the gospel. So, absolutely. So, so pick up from where you were. So there, the, the hijab that the, women's, the women wear, the prayers five times a day, the, the refraining from certain behaviors like drinking of alcohol, all of this is to earn God's favor. And it was um, apparent to me because, again, still, I had faith in Christ. I knew that God loved me. I knew that God loved them. So no matter how they attempted to witness to me, which is what they were trying to do, I didn't have any interest in Islam. I still believed in Jesus, even though I was not living my life according to what I knew was the right way to live. So the family was very welcoming towards you. I'm wondering about your family and how welcoming your family was towards your, your Muslim boyfriend. It was very, very difficult for my parents especially. They had gone through the trauma of a divorce, and they were terrified for me. Here they thought I was you know, going off to school to be in youth ministry, and then I'd taken a sharp turn. Oh, it's a sharp turn. And was now with a Muslim. And for the most part, out of the church, though I still believed I wasn't practicing. And they were very worried and very scared. And they knew of the violence. They didn't know to what extent. Mm. But they knew that there was control and violence there. I did everything that I could to hide it from them. But I had a grandfather. He is now um, asleep in Jesus. But I had a a grandfather that um, had an opportunity to be around this young man. I would bring him around quite frequently. And he, as As this young man's um, mother and father always had the Quran on the table and always had their prayers, my grandfather always had his Bible open at the kitchen table, always was sitting down to read, always had a wonderful word to share about God's love. And he loved this young man. He loved him. He got to know his heart. 
he would invite him over and cook him food and 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 spend time with him. And my grandmother and grandfather at the time, they lived a ways away from where this young man lived. And so when he would come out to visit, um, he had school and class early the next morning. And my grandfather would invite him to sleep over, and he'd say, you can, you can have the couch. Why don't you go sleep on the couch? And I would sleep in the room with my grandma. And early in the morning, because he had to leave early, he'd get up and cook him breakfast. And it was incredible for this young man, as well as his family, because they, they came over and got to know my grandfather, um, that a Christian who was misled in their opinion about who God was and didn't really have the opportunity in their opinion to get to paradise one day could have something so special about him. They were confused and said so to me once that even though they knew he couldn't be in heaven, they were a bit confused about how a man with such love for God couldn't be there. Interesting in this relationship, you being impacted, you being drawn, not that you were drawn, but you were being drawn by Islam. Yeah. Interesting how God was working. Yes. This young man was also being exposed to Christianity. Amen. Let me ask a question. We want to know how you extricated yourself from this, how God got you out. But before I ask you that, let me ask you this. Living here in the United States, there's lots of Christians, hmm. lots of Muslims now. Yeah, I mean, if you live in rural Missouri, you, you may not see a Muslim for a year for years at a time, depending on where you live. But if you live in a larger city, Islam is popular. There are mosques all over the place and literally millions of Muslims living in the United States. How should a Christian approach a Muslim? Friendship. Explain. Friendship. Explain. Proselytizing a Muslim telling them about what the Bible says as a means to try to connect is not something that reaches their hearts because they have an answer for every single question you may pose. They think that the Bible's been changed. Mm. But they are drawn to a friendship and a love because in their own culture, they also, they, they bring you to their home, they share what they have with you, they share their food, and they don't necessarily see that in our culture here in America. We don't tend to invite strangers over, bring trays of food out and yep. say, you're welcome in my house. And so meeting a Christian who is hospitality minded, who is interested and in say, you know, hey, neighbor, can I mow your lawn? Or I come check out this new lawnmower that I got or come on over for for lunch or dinner. That's appealing to them because that speaks to their culture and their understanding. And they don't they don't have a trust in someone who doesn't welcome them into their home because that's how they gain trust in their own culture. So friendship, friendship is the key. If a Muslim family moves in next door to me, should I be afraid? No. But yeah. I, surely I should. Absolutely these not. These are terrorists, these people. They blow things up. They're going to kill, kill us all. They hate us all. Right. Well, just like we have Christian individuals that go off and, and commit terrible acts towards different minority groups because they feel that God has called them to do so, you find the same thing in Islam, yeah. but the people themselves are nothing like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're recognizing, aren't we, that regrettable things have happened. But yes. what you're doing is you're saying you're looking at the group as a whole and your yes. average, average next-door neighbor Muslims mm -hmm. are trying to get ahead in this life and Absolutely. look after their family and love each other just like Absolutely. Christians are trying to do. Absolutely. Um, where do you start? The, the, the family who moves in next door, she wears a, a hijab mm. and... Every so often he dresses funny mm. and they look different mm. and they, you hear them speaking a different language. Mm. 
I will maintain that you better start somewhere because you have a duty to. You're a Christian. You at least have to show the love of God. It's not your duty to convert somebody, but surely is your duty to let someone see the love of Christ. Where do I begin? Food. Oh, yeah? Yes. Bake them something. Take them something. uh, Meet them that way. Or invite them over if there's not a comfort level necessarily to invite them over. Take them a baked good. You know, uh, greet them. Ask about their children. Ask about how they... They, if they're new to the area, how they like the environment. They're looking for genuine friendship. Gardening. A lot of the women love to garden. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a, a desire for them to connect. But because of the perception that so many have about terrorism and the different things that have happened, they will stay veiled. They'll stay behind that veil and let you be and not necessarily approach you. But you will typically find they will be very warm when you approach them. I wonder if... The Christian thought, my job is not to convert them today, mm. but to befriend them yes. and to show them love. Yes. I wonder if some of those barriers might start to come down. Mm-hmm. and Then we give God the opportunity to work through the friendships and the connections that are made. Absolutely. All right. How long were you with this guy? 13 years. So what we're saying is there was an ending to this. Mm-hmm. You're in an environment where there was a lot of love shown, a family environment, you're welcome, but spiritually there was incompatibility. Mm-hmm. On a personal level, there were some things that we all wish didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to minimize by mm-hmm. saying that. Mm-hmm. How, how, do you, how do you get out? Well, um, for a period of time, I was considering um, leaving. And I had been committed for a long time. I had told myself that actually, you know, I was married for all intents and purposes. I said that, um, you know, this is a a legal marriage as far as, you know, how many years we've been together, what the government would consider a common law marriage. So I had told myself that, you know, I wanted to go, but I wasn't sure. Hey, let me ask you this. Were you trapped? Did you feel trapped? Like, I can't get out if I want to. They're going to keep me here. He will, he'll be, he'll, he'll be violent. I... Were you, were you frightened and did you feel trapped? I did not necessarily feel that he would keep me there, but I was afraid of the violence that would occur. Okay, sure. That's real. So there was a, a real threat of that. Um, and there, was, there were times when we had separated, and while we were separated, violence occurred. Oh, my. Okay. Yeah. So how do you approach this? You, you, you come. What was the thing, things, where you realized, got to go? Um. One of the things was his his entire complete lack of interest in Christianity. Sure. I knew that if we did marry, I could never have children. Oh. And I, I wasn't willing to raise the Muslim. And the only way that a Christian can marry a Muslim is to have children and raise the Muslim. And I knew that that wasn't a possibility. So that was a problem. And also the violence was only escalating. It was increasing. In fact, um, the time that, that he broke my nose was probably um, the beginning of the end. For us, because I knew that if I didn't, if I didn't get out, that potentially my life was at yeah, risk. Yeah, worse things would happen. Yeah, worse yes. things would happen. I'm really interested to ask you about prayer ministry. Mm. In a moment, though, we're gonna mm. we're gonna talk about how you exited this, and then mm. and then how life changed so radically, mm. and God brought you right back to ministry where you began. Praise God. Fascinating. Okay, mm. in a moment there'll be more. She's Dana Brady. I'm John Bradshaw. More of our conversation in just a moment, brought to you by It Is Written. More and more people are watching It Is Written TV. They're watching their favorite It Is Written programs. 
listening to inspiring sermon series, and much more. They're watching them here, here, and even here. See for yourself why people are turning to It Is Written TV to watch their favorite Christian programs live and on demand. Watch It Is Written TV for free anytime on Roku, Apple TV, and at itiswritten.tv. Welcome back. This is Conversations brought to you by It Is Written, and I'm speaking with Dana Brady. Dana, moments ago, you'd come to the realization that the relationship you're in had to end. Mm. You were faced with the potential that it could end badly. Mm. How do you extricate yourself from a relationship that, even while you're in it, you thought, I kind of shouldn't be here? Well, right around this time, I was invited to the mosque, and I've been invited to the mosque a number of times, and I didn't really want to go, but I went. And when you go to the mosque, you put on the hijab, and the women and the men are separated. And I was taken into a room where there was a grouping of women, and there was a special guest speaker there that particular day that was speaking on family and the importance of family. And over and over again, I had been asked if I was interested in Islam. I was not interested in Islam. But something very interesting happened that day. As I was listening to the translation of this speaker speaking from another room about the, the love of family, the commitment of family, the dedication of family in Islam, I suddenly had the um, idea that I wanted to convert. And it was a very strange experience because, understand, I did not believe in Islam. I did not believe in Muhammad. But I had the feeling that I wanted to be a part of what I saw in the culture. And so I announced that I wanted to convert, and they were excited, and everyone began to cry. And I remember having an almost um, disconnected sort of -of out-of-body experience, feeling like, why is everyone crying? What is the big deal? So they brought someone in. They brought in his family. I said the Shahada. You say the Shahada, which is to denounce that, that um, there is God has no son, well, which is written into the Shahada, yeah. that he has a prophet, and the prophet's name is Muhammad. I took the Shahada, and I stepped out that evening into the night air when it was all over, and I felt like a spell had been broken. The first thought that went through my head was, what have I done? And it was a matter of seconds later that I heard a voice, and this was audible. And the voice was, you denied the Son of God. And I began a several-month time period of living in terror because I heard taunting voices all of the time, saying things like, you might as well kill yourself. Might as well kill yourself. You deny the Son of God. You know what happens to people like that. You're over. And then I would hear laughter. So I ran home and hid that day, the next day I got my Bible out and I sat down and I got down other books and I, I began to, to search the scripture and I felt a hollowness, um, an emptiness as if something that had been there was missing. And no matter how much I prayed, no matter how much I read, I felt no responding call, no oh, really? responding chord. Mm. It was as if I was in an echo chamber. What happened next? I mean, what do you do? This would cause a person to give up hope. I've gone too far. Have I committed the unpardonable sin? What have I done? What did you do? I called my grandfather. Ah, here he is. I called my grandfather, and it was amazing because I was panicked. 
I was um, anxious and nervous and crying. And I said, Grandpa, I, I don't know what to say, but I've just got to tell you what I've done. I converted to Islam, and I, I don't believe it, but I converted to Islam, and I'm so afraid, and I don't know what to do, and I'm praying, and I just went on and on and on. And I heard a sigh, and then he chuckled. He chuckled? He chuckled. He went, oh, calm down. It's okay. God still got you. And I I couldn't believe it. It was such a, uh, here I was panicking and terror-stricken exactly where the devil wanted me. And yet the faith of my grandfather washed right over that moment and said, just breathe. Let's talk to God about this. So that began our conversation where we talked about what had happened. Now, when I got off the phone that day, I felt better, but I still didn't notice that that sense of something missing had returned. Sure. I still felt empty inside. So for a period of months, I struggled with how I was going to cope with what I had done and how was I going to... It was hard enough to think of extricating myself out of the relationship. Now, I was a Muslim, and I was getting phone calls from his family saying, we want you to come to a local church. We're having an interfaith meeting, and we want you to explain why you've become a Muslim. Oh, wow. I would have rather jumped off of a bridge. I did not want to go to anyone and tell them that I had converted to something that I didn't believe. So it was a very difficult time um, to process what was happening and what I was going through. And at the same time, hear these, these voices that were audible over and over again. The same message was, Kill yourself. You've, you were still hearing them up oh, to yes. this point? Oh, yeah. Just pretty much um, constant. You know, it was just little little thoughts. I would have thoughts, but then I would hear laughter, and I'd hear voices. I believe it was demons that were taunting me. Sure. Um, about two or three months of living this way, I started to, to feel like I was having anxiety attacks, panic attacks. I was starting to feel like um, I, I didn't know what to do, but I better do something. And so my grandfather called me over to come stay with him for a few days. He lived across town. And we had contacted a local pastor and had him over to talk about my story. And I just blurted out everything that happened to him. And bless his heart, in his desire to help me through this, he said, well, when was the last time that you felt connected to God? And I said, well, when I was at school. And he said, well, at this point, this had been, you know, 10 years, actually 12 years. And he said, well, you need to go now. Go back. Go back. Drop everything, leave, and just go back to school. Well, I think he was doing everything that he could think of to get me on sure footing. But that just scared me further. Because I, my entire life was wrapped up with this individual at this time. I had a career. I had a home. Um, to panic and to leave scared me further. So that evening, something pretty incredible happened. We were sitting there with him and my grandfather. And um, when the pastor left... I was pacing back and forth on the floor, and I said, I, I just feel worse. You know, we're not getting any better. We're getting worse here. And my grandfather, always having the perfect timing, said, I don't know. Why don't we go get a sandwich? Are you hungry? Let's go get a sandwich. <laughs> really? That's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> I said, really, Grandpa? Really? Yeah. He goes, yeah, I'm hungry. Let's get a sandwich. So he, it was night, and he couldn't drive at this point. My grandmother had passed away at night. So we got in the car together, and we were driving along, and I remember we didn't have too far to go, and I was having that same familiar panic where I couldn't take a deep breath, and we're driving over the Missouri River, and I just feel this overwhelming panic attack, and I I turned to my grandpa, and I said, Grandpa, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. I'm sorry for what I've done, but I feel so 
disconnected and alone. And in that moment, my grandfather, he had great big farmer's hands. He reached over and he placed his hand on mine while I was driving the car. And he raised one hand up in the air and he said, God, and he cried out to God. And he said, I am a child of Abraham. He said, my granddaughter is a child of Abraham. She didn't know what she was doing. She started her life out wanting to serve you. She loves you. And the enemy, the liar, is in her ear every moment. And I am asking in the name of Jesus that he be sent away from her never to return again. Come back to my granddaughter today in Jesus' name. And in an instant, in an instant, I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. A full, almost like feeling like you were being filled up again with warmth and love and I exhaled such a deep breath and I never heard those voices again Mm. never again praise the Lord but you still had some distance to cover I did and the beauty of that lesson for me that day was something that I've taken forward into my ministry and that is Christ and his righteousness yeah I received that robe that robe of righteousness, not based on what I had done. That's for, right. I was still living as a Muslim for a period of time, but the Lord returned to me and covered me with his love. And it took me, I'd say, at, uh, about two years and about a year and a half at that point to completely extricate myself from the family. I began to um, study the Bible again. Mm-hmm. I got my Bible out and read it all of the time and tucked it back underneath my bed. And it was about six to eight months later that one of his sisters called me up and and asked me about whether or not I was really a Muslim. Hmm. And I finally had the opportunity. I said, you know, I'm I'm sorry, but I I think I made a, a wrong decision. And she said, well, we figured pretty quickly after you did that, that you weren't really a Muslim because you didn't follow through with anything. So about a year and a half later, um, the Lord opened up a door for me to leave and I gathered up the courage called some family together and said goodbye and moved out. Mm. A couple of things I want to ask you. I didn't, I didn't think I have enough time, but I'm going to try. Your story is, is unique, but not unique. Mm. You know, young people get themselves in situations and make decisions they regret yeah. all the time. I think you've explained this. In fact, I know you've explained it, but I want you to just put this in a nutshell. What's going on in the mind of a young person that enables this to happen. Mm. You were you were raised with every advantage in the church. Yeah. Parents had a hard time, but I'm assuming they loved you dearly. Yes. A wonderful grandfather. Mm. You're in great schools. You had mentors and and and, and uh, leader figures mm. in your life. What? And I'm not saying you, but maybe what happens in the life of a young person that enables all this to unravel? Mm. I ask this because we can learn from this. I think we all have a a craving, a craving for something more. And I thought that that craving that I felt, even though I was a Christian, even though I wanted to serve Jesus, I thought that that craving was meant for me one day to find a partner, to find a husband, to have a family. And so the hole in my heart that I wanted to fill I wasn't filling with Jesus. I thought I had to go and find a partner, a spouse. That was the craving that I Mm, had. mm -hmm. I thought Jesus was a part of the entire mix, but I looked in the wrong places to fill the craving. 
In addition to that, you know, when we think that we have to clean ourselves up before we can give ourselves to God, when we think that we have to put on the right um, um, look before Him or or the, the, the right outfit, we have to be a particular way, we have to be a particular thing, we are, are in a place where the devil keeps us from him because it's in that moment that we need him the most. Where we are weak, he is strong. Yes, that's right. And so instead of hiding from him, I should have clung. And I, I realized even during that time where I had gone through this false conversion, as I call it, he was right there. He had never left. But I didn't recognize that. I didn't understand that. So even then, I was trying to figure out how I needed to extricate myself so I could return to him. That powerful moment with my grandfather taught me something, that I lacked a faith in his ability to save me just as I was. Right. And when he called out to God that day, I believed what he said. I had faith that God could take me just as I was. And immediately I felt that presence of the Holy Spirit return. When we look for for whatever longing we have, when we look for replacement in the things of the world and in, in the addictions of the day and the the you know the razzle dazzle of what life has to offer, we come up empty. And so often we feel like, well, God knows what nobody else knows. God sees all the stuff that I do. So, you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to come to him while I'm like this. I need to fix myself a little bit. When are we going to get ourselves fixed good enough to go to God? That's right. That's right. It's really interesting that you're in prayer ministry today, and it was an impactful prayer that changed your life. Your grandfather prayed. If he hadn't prayed that prayer, if I mean, if he wasn't there and didn't pray, who knows, right? How do you get involved in prayer ministry? Talk to me for a minute about prayer ministry, but why? Why Why do you do this? How do you get involved? Mm. And why? Why do this? You could do a thousand things. Why do you do it? I got involved in prayer ministry by joining a prayer line and started praying with other people. And where two or more are gathered, the Lord is there. Yes. And I began to feel my own prayer lengths prayer life strengthened as I grew closer to God through prayer. I began seeing things in my life change. I began to overcome just from praying, praying for other people especially, Mm. not just praying for my needs and for myself, but praying for others. And then it was through being consistently on that prayer line that an opportunity opened up for for me to be involved in leading that that prayer ministries department. Hey, isn't that fun? God is good. You went to school (laughs) so that you could be in full-time ministry. You want to be in youth ministry. Amen. There was a a left turn, mm. and that disappeared. One might have thought, mm. gone forever. Right. God had different plans, and here you are back on the front lines of ministry, mm. and with the testimony to share, mm. that will undoubtedly help a lot of people mm. avoid uh, some of the turbulence that you flew through. Mm. So tell me about prayer. What is it about prayer ministry, and what are you seeing happen, and, and how can a person experience mm. This is another program, I'm sure, but mm. how, in a moment, mm. prayer. Someone's praying, they're not getting answers, they're not being heard, mm. they feel that anyway. Mm. So two questions. What excites you about prayer ministry, and how can we help people to pray effective prayers? Uh, well, you know, where two or more are gathered, as I said, God is there. Yes, always. And when we come into relationship, relationship, being intimate, telling him everything that is on our hearts and on our minds. You know, what I have found is I take two steps towards God. He takes 200 towards me. Mm. There is um, a power in coming together with another person to pray. 
And so what is I'm passionate about prayer ministries is that we have this opportunity to come together and pray together. We see things happen. We see miracles occur. God moves, and God is waiting to move. He's waiting to move on his people. Prayer has taught me the amount of faith that I wanted to have I was lacking. And the more I began talking to other prayer warriors, you know, it's amazing to to even listen to other people pray. That's right. You can pray along silently, and what we have on our prayer line as we're praying together is that opportunity to do so. My faith started growing. And so now as I'm moving into prayer ministries with those that maybe struggle to pray or don't know how to talk to God, it's as simple as you and I have been talking here. That's right. And introducing them to that. They don't have to say a certain type of prayer. They can go to God and, and, and talk the way I'm talking to you and introducing people to talk to God as a friend yeah, and to share with God the deepest, darkest things on their heart. You know, one of the things I shared with someone recently who was struggling with addiction is that is the moment to pray. While the thing is going on, he sees you. That's right. He, he accepts you as yeah. you are. Oh, yeah. He's just not going to leave you there. There's that beautiful verse in Psalm 103. He knows our frame. Amen. He remembers we are dust. God knows what you're made of. I mean, listen, when a person stumbles and fumbles and falls, Mm. God expects that of us. Mm. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He knows we're human and he knows we're faulty. Now, he can keep us. He has better for us. But he knows what we're made of. When we fail, failure shouldn't keep us from God. It should drive us to God. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, I, I wish you all the best for prayer ministry mm-hmm. and whatever, mm-hmm. the story's not over. Amen. You can't imagine that this is it. Not that if this was it, that'd be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But the, the story's not over. There could be some wonderful chapters, new chapters to be written. Praise and um, I do want to ask you just quick, how do people respond to your story? Well, they're fascinated and they're interested. And I think it gives them an opportunity also to see into the heart of of Muslims in a way that they didn't see before. Yeah. And if you told me half your story, I would have said, yeah, poor woman, you're trapped. Mm. But the rest of the story is that God has led you to freedom and powerful ministries brought you full circle. It's a wonderful story. Thanks for sharing. Thank you for having me. I'm so thankful, so thankful. And I'm so thankful that you have joined us. Thanks for doing that. I've been encouraged. I trust you have been as well. She's Dana Brady, I'm John Bradshaw, and this has been our conversation.